You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. Now, we've been talking this season about the different gender biases that show up at work. And I've got two more topics to cover on that uh, topic. But I've been having a bit of writer's block on the one that I've been working on for a while. Don't ask me why, I have no idea. Uh, And so instead, this episode, uh, to procrastinate on what I should be doing, I'm going to cover a topic uh, on a question that I've been asked by a couple of people this week. And that is, can you recommend any leadership books for me? So I want to start by saying there are so many amazing books out there on leadership. And I have read an awful lot of them and I am still nowhere near uh, reading even a quarter of them. So um, I think the choices you make and what to read are very personal in a leadership space. They're going to depend on your values and the style of leader that you want to be. Now that said, today I'm going to discuss three leadership books that I have loved, uh, each one offering unique insights to help you become a well-rounded leader. And I think these books are pretty well universally liked, although these days nothing is truly. So um, whether you're looking to climb the corporate ladder, lead your team more effectively, or simply develop a deeper understanding of yourself and who you are as a leader, I think these books have got you covered. Uh, I'm also going to give you at the end of my uh, summary of each book an action to take relating to that specific book. So you might want to grab a pen and paper and take some notes because uh, there is some action for you to take. All right, I'm going to kick this list off with an absolute classic. And that is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Now, I don't want you to let the word classic turn you off. I think these principles that are covered in this book are as relevant today as they were when the book was first published nearly 35 years ago now. And what I love about Covey's work is that he really seems to get... uh, be on the same page as I am where leadership starts from the inside out. And what he covers in this book is about mastering yourself so that you can lead others effectively. Now for each of the books I share with you today, I'm going to pull out three key ideas. Hopefully enough for you to know if you want to go and read the book in full uh, and still get some actionable advice if you don't want to do that, Um, but not so much that this episode is going to end up being two hours long. So the first habit for uh, seven habits of highly effective people that I want to highlight is uh, one that Covey calls sharpen the saw. And yes, you are the saw. (laughs) Um, Stephen Covey was really pioneering in recognizing that your greatest asset is yourself. And like any asset, you need maintenance. 
Now, he goes beyond that standard sort of just take a break advice that we're hearing a lot of at the moment around burnout, um, which as an aside really frustrates me as advice for burnout. But anyway, uh, what he does is categorize this sort of maintenance as self-renewal into four key dimensions. So he talks about the physical, the mental, um, the social, emotional and the spiritual. Uh, and I won't go too deeply into each dimension. I encourage you to get this book and read it in, in whatever format you can, um, because it really is foundational. But for physical renewal, it's not just about hitting the gym, right? Um, in fact, you know, if that's your thing, good for you, not mine. Uh, but it can be as simple as taking short breaks during the day. Just breathe, right? Or even stretch through a short five-minute, two-minute, one-minute break um, every hour and that helps your uh, physical stamina rejuvenate. Mentally he advocates for continuous learning uh, and emotional literacy. So not just learning you know facts and figures but again be, like the mindset shifts that the Her Leadership Way Manifesto talks about that's part of that emotional literacy. He also emphasizes building rich social networks, which is definitely something we advocate within her leadership way. It's part of the Accelerate Your Leadership method. Um, even if you're an introvert, yes, you need to build rich social networks and taking time for spiritual renewal. And that could be anything from meditation, um, prayer, if you are religious, spending time in nature, whatever it means for you to really reconnect with yourself in a spiritual way. So why is this sharpen the saw so crucial for you, especially as an aspiring or current woman leader? You have probably heard by now you cannot pour from an empty cup and you certainly can't serve your team, let alone lead them effectively if you've allowed your own well-being to run dry. You become reactive, uh, short and rushed rather than thoughtful and responsive and insightful. Now, if you are struggling with this, and please know that if you are, you are not alone. This is an area where coaching can really help you recognize when it's time to sharpen your saw. Because I think as women, we tend to ignore the signs until it's too late. Uh, and it can also help you to find the strategies that align with your unique challenges, uh, your values, your leadership goals. Um, for instance, several of my clients find themselves stuck in that same work pattern of leaving late and sacrificing family time and they're left wondering how on earth they're going to change it without looking lazy at work or feeling guilty um, sort of part of that double bind that we find ourselves so often in as women and thankfully they came to coaching uh, and I was able to help them identify those sticking points and find actionable ways to break that cycle, um, helping them really lean into what felt good for them without feelings of guilt uh, and without jeopardizing their role at work. So, um, you know, if you've got those kind of challenges, definitely hit me up and, and let's talk. Now, the second habit that I want to talk about in the seven habits of highly effective people is begin with the end in mind, which 
I absolutely adore this one because it echoes one of my favorite conversations in literature ever, one between Alice and the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. So in the story, Alice comes to a fork in the road and sees the Cheshire Cat and she asks him, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? Uh, excuse the, I don't know what the sound of that is, but anyway, that's my Alice. Um, Cheshire Cat says to her, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. Alice says she doesn't much care where, to which the cat responds, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, ignore my acting skills, but that little exchange actually holds some deep wisdom for anyone, um, especially if you're aspiring to be a leader. It's a reminder that aimlessness can take you anywhere, but probably nowhere meaningful. You need to have a destination in mind, your end, so to speak, to make your journey purposeful. And I think this aligns really well with the Her Leadership Way manifesto shift from having limiting beliefs to empowered actions. How can you head towards your goals if you haven't identified what they are? And often we don't identify what our goals are because we have limiting beliefs. So having a clear vision guides everything you do. It's the roadmap for your actions and decisions, but it's not just about where you're going. It's also about helping you to stay motivated and energized on your way there, right? Enjoy the journey, not just the destination. When obstacles come your way, and believe me, they always do, this destination, this North Star, it helps you regain your focus um, it, it gets your energy back up and keeps pushing you forward to where you really want to get to. Um, and I found it like this this particular um, habit so pivotal for me in uh, in my career, in my business and with my team. And so I work with my team for us to discover our North Star as a team. Where is it that we're heading? Um, often, you know, we... we talk about vision mission and purpose in the team and we pull that together uh, and that keeps us motivated to get there and gives us direction and you know lets us know what we should be focusing on um, and so it makes everything so much easier and then the final um, habit from Covey's book that I wanted to touch on today is seek first to understand then to be understood now I don't know about you but I often find that in workplaces Everyone is fighting for a chance to speak. And it seems all too easy to neglect that important piece of listening. So this principle really asks us to slow down and make a concerted effort to truly understand the person we are communicating with before we start offering our own perspective. I mean, there is wisdom in that saying we've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? So if we take the time to listen, then we create room for more impactful conversations and more effective leadership. Um, in fact, there's another book I'm reading at the moment, which is Adam Grant's Think Again, uh, which is not part of the three books I'm recommending. However, tack it on because it's also really good. Um, and it talks to the power of not only listening to others, 
But he talks through uh, how to be a really effective negotiator and what you do, or, or negotiator and debater, I think he's talking about, is agree with the other side as much as you can. So listen first so that you hear them, so that you can pull the pieces out that you genuinely do agree with before introducing your differing opinions. And that gets you much further than not listening and simply responding to get your point across. Now, it's not just about keeping quiet and letting the other person talk. It is also about the types of questions we ask. Um, so, of course, that's, you know, for the manifesto, we ask powerful questions. We want to ask open-ended questions that are encouraging the other person to dive deeper um, so that they can start to look at what they are saying as well and perhaps come to an agreement with you. So maybe you ask something like, can you help me understand your point of view? Or, oh, what led you to feel that way? Um, questions like that can help really foster mutual respect. And when you permeate that across your team, then you start to see a culture of empathy. Um, if we look at the manifesto mindset shifts as well, that judgment to empathy comes in here. So if we stop with the judgment and seek to understand first, then we create this space for empathy uh, for you know genuine connection and that is really vital for any leader okay so those are the three habits that I want to touch on today uh, and what I want to give you now is an action step so I challenge you this is your mission should you choose to accept it to use the principle of seek first to understand and then to be understood in one conversation at least this week so if you find yourself in a meeting or you're having a difficult chat, I want you to remember this and take a moment to listen first and see if you can find a point to agree on before you introduce any counter argument. Okay, let's jump into our next book on the list. And this is a book called The Coaching Habit by a man called Michael Bungay Stanya. Uh, who is also commonly known as MBS uh, and not the bad one. That's Michael's words, not mine. Uh, what I love about this book is how it lays out practical techniques to make coaching a part of your everyday leadership. And I am a strong proponent for coaching and leadership. In a world that is increasingly complex and where the pace of change is just exponentially growing, the ability to coach your team effectively, I genuinely think is more vital than ever. Now, the coaching habit is structured around seven essential coaching questions, and it's designed specifically for uh, leaders in a corporate environment. So we'll look at three of them to whet your appetite, but again, encourage you to get this book and dive deeper into them. Um, the first question up is the first question that he covers, and that is, what's on your mind? You might want to write that down if you don't plan on getting the book. Um, I love this question, and I use it all the time in my one-on-one -on -one meetings. It opens up the conversation and immediately puts the ball in your team member's court. Now, from there, they can choose what to share. They might share what's troubling them, or they might share something that they're excited about. It might be work-related, or it might be personal-related. 
It is deceptively simple, but I find it's really powerful. By asking this question, you are letting them know you are genuinely interested in their thoughts and concerns. You're also empowering them to be more self-aware and to take ownership of this meeting. Um, And my take on a one-on-one meeting is it is for them. It is not for you, right? So a one-on-one meeting is a chance for your team to feel connected, to build rapport with you, um, to share their ideas and their frustrations. So I think it's a brilliant starting question. Uh, Next question up, we'll move on to one uh, that Michael talks about being a uh, foundational question, and that is, what's the real challenge here for you? Now, I've heard him talk about this one and how all of that question fits together to help your team get to the root of the issue. It's not just simply, oh, what's the challenge? He's very intentional with this full question. Because if you just say, oh, well, what's the, what's the challenge with that? You could get to a really superficial answer. Um, so the first part is what's the real challenge? And by asking that, you're causing them to just take a pause and really prompting deeper introspection. And then the second part is for you right? So what's the real challenge here for you? Because I think sometimes when we ask people what's the challenge, it's everybody else, right? Um, And we add here for you, we shift them from blaming others to looking inwards, which is again, one of the the mindset shifts of the uh, manifesto. Shifting from being a victim to uh, taking responsibility, to being at control. So this question really helps cut through that the noise and the distraction that can be around our team and helps them focus on what truly matters. And then it can help you get you and your team member to a place where you can work on potential solutions and learning opportunities together. And then the final question I want to highlight from this book is what do you want? Uh, And This one is another foundational question. It's designed to bring clarity to what the individual wants to happen. And from there, you've got a path for taking action, right? Now, again, it seems like a simple question, but I think this one needs a little more unpacking than what Michael gives it. Um, Because often, particularly for women, it can be really challenging to know what we truly want. Many of us have been conditioned from a young age to put other people's needs and wants before our own. And so we don't even spend the time thinking about our own wants. So if you're aiming to become a more effective leader for women in particular, you might need to help them peel back the layers and get to the core of what they really want here. Now, I like to ask a question in coaching sometimes where it's appropriate. If you could wave a magic wand, what would your ideal outcome be? By asking this, you're essentially giving them this permission to dream bigger than they normally would, to consider options that they might not have thought about otherwise. And if you're struggling with answering this question yourself, 
Again, coaching is a really valuable way to help you cut through all of that noise and hone in on what you really want. I have this practice I use with my clients so that they can get really clear on their true wants rather than what society is telling them they should want. And I find that once my clients uncover what they genuinely want, it helps guide them through challenges and decisions with a a lot more ease. Okay, so the action point for the coaching habit, um, I want you to pick one of those questions. Um, So we've got what's on your mind, what's the real challenge here for you, and what do you want? Pick one of those and make a conscious effort to put that into one of your conversations this week with your team. Whether it's during a one-on-one or even a casual catch-up, have a look how this shifts the dialogue and starts to deepen the relationship that you have with your team members. All right, let's look at the final book I'm recommending today, and that is Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. I am completely a Brene Brown fangirl and cannot rave about this book enough. I find it gives us the language and the strategies to turn what are commonly seen as weaknesses in corporate and yet uh, these so-called weaknesses are steeped in stereotypical feminine energy and show them as the authentic strengths that they really are. So if we dive into three of them um, that I particularly love, and again, encourage you to read the rest of this book because uh, she's she's just so good at explaining this stuff. She has so many stories, so you really understand these um, strengths, turning weaknesses into strengths. So the first one is clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And look, this one has worked so well for me and I love it so much. Um, And I agree with it so much. Yes, okay, I said a fangirl, right? Um, Brene places really heavy emphasis on this one, highlighting that ambiguity often leads other people to have assumptions. It leads to misunderstandings. And eventually, if you keep it up, you're going to have a broken team culture. Now, she is clear that leaders must be unambiguous in setting expectations, giving feedback, and communicating boundaries. And I think this is really crucial for us as women, right? Again, the societal expectation often leads towards women being nice. And sometimes that feels like a conflict with being clear. It's also crucial for men leading women because they too feel like they have to be nice to women and end up giving really wishy-washy feedback. So again, what Brown is making clear with this one is that clarity is not about meanness. In fact, it's the kindest thing you can offer your team because it helps them stay away from making their own assumptions about what you've said or from the misunderstandings. All right, next one uh, she talks about is shame resilience. And she talks about how our organizations, so many of them are just steeped in shame. Um, And in those organizations, she sees that uh, things like creativity, innovation, even well-being are completely stifled. 
you cannot be creative or innovative in a culture that is causing you to shut down. That whenever you do something, they heap blame on you. They heap shame on you. You feel that shame from that. So, for instance, if you have a project that you are leading and it doesn't go as planned, what happens at work? The immediate reaction might be blame. I've seen that time and time again. And that starts a shame spiral where you're starting to think, well, I'm a failure. I shouldn't even be in this position. And that shame spiral starts to happen even when you're not being specifically blamed for something because of the culture, you start to not speak up about something when it goes wrong and you still have that shame spiral anyway. Or uh, maybe you couldn't make it to your child's school event because of some important meeting that gets called at the last minute and the shame sets in there and you start questioning your abilities as a mother and a leader, like both of them, right? doesn't matter what you do, you, you're terrible at both of them. Um, so Brene in this part teaches us to recognize that um, what you're feeling is shame, first of all. And then turn it around and combat it with empathy. And that needs to be for ourselves. So this is, you know, from the manifesto, give grace to ourselves and to others. And that's what combats shame is giving grace to ourselves and others. Instead of wallowing in these feelings, you might reach out to a trusted colleague um, you might share your feelings with them and seek constructive feedback. Get that third party view of it. Uh, don't go to the leader that is good at throwing you under the bus. That is not where you want to start. Um, if you do that, if you get this constructive feedback from your colleague, you're not just helping yourself. You're starting to create a culture that views setbacks as opportunities for growth and not as personal failures, which is definitely what they are. Uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. All right, last concept that really resonates from Brene's book is courage over comfort. Um, now, this is really tied to another one of her concepts, which is living your values. Um, so Brene is a firm believer that courage and comfort are mutually exclusive and you can't have both. So choosing courage over comfort means taking the, the hard path, the difficult path, because that path is the one that aligns with your core values. So it's not just about doing what's easy or what will make you look good in the short term. It is about taking action that resonates with who you are and what you stand for. And in a world that emphasizes short-term gains and immediate gratification often making a choice like that is seen as a revolutionary act so for instance at work it might mean speaking up in a meeting when you're the only woman in the room it might mean challenging a corporate policy or some practice that you feel is unjust even if you're shot down for doing it you continue to speak up it might even mean starting a difficult conversation with a team member about their performance or your manager about their performance. Each of these acts requires you to prioritize your values 
over the immediate comfort or approval of others. Look, this is tough, this one. I get it. But it is super important. So to help you choose courage over comfort, Brene suggests two practices. Firstly, name your two core values. Find them and hold them close. And secondly, doing a values check-in at the end of each day to see if your actions aligned with those two top values. And in that way, you're not just passively saying, oh, yep, here's my values. You are actively living them. Um, So that helps as well. If we if we take those two actions helps us to shift from that being a people pleaser, which uh, looks so many of us are good at into being a boundary holder and holding our um, values at the center of what we do. All right. So your action step for this book is to carry out a courage audit. So I want you to reflect on your last week at work um, and think about were there instances where you chose the comfortable path instead of the courageous one. And look, you cannot fight every battle, uh, but you need to be sure that you're staying aligned with your values because the more often you are not, the weaker your values become. So pinpoint at least one situation where you could choose courage in the upcoming week and then make a commitment to follow through. All right. So as we wrap up today's episode, let's quickly revisit the action steps. Um, So first, from the seven habits of highly effective people, your challenge is to embody the principle of seek first to understand, then to be understood. So I want you to use that in your conversation at work this week. Um, before you know responding getting your point across I want you to find a point to agree on that the other person has said Uh, and then that can really change the whole conversation if you can get that in second one is from the coaching habit pick just one of Michael Bungay-Stania's powerful questions and weave it into your conversation with a team member this week and notice how the questions shift the energy and really start to deepen your relationships. And then finally, from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, your action step is the courage audit um, and finding one instance where you opted for comfort over courage in the last week and then committing to choosing the courageous path in that situation should it arise in the coming week. There you have it. Three action steps for you to implement over the next week. Um, If you do, please let me know. I would love to hear how they work for you. Um, And if you grab one of these books and read it and you get something different out of it, please let me know that. And if you have a book to add, come and join us in the Facebook group this week and let us know what your favorite leadership book is. Um, I also want to let you know as we wrap up this episode that some of this podcast was created with the assistance of artificial intelligence um, from editing the audio to drafting my show notes. AI saves me a lot of time now, which is, of course, really helpful for me. Um, And as a leader, I really encourage you to be experimenting with AI as well, because it will be revolutionizing the way we work as leaders, uh, particularly if you're in a knowledge worker role. 
If you found this episode valuable, I would love it if you could share it with others who will benefit. And don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast for more insights and actionable strategies. Until next week, continue to lead the way her way.